So as we're in our third week of missions month, I think this is the third week, I'm a little confused, I've been gone the past couple, uh, we have Matt Gloy and the Gloy family who are here from Lubbock in the, with the Sunset International Bible Institute. Did I say it all right this time? All right. Um, we've been supporting um, Matt for a long time there and Ed Wharton before him. They do a great work. And Matt promised me we'd be out by 8 o'clock tonight. So it'll be a great to hear the work that's been going on there. Matt, come bring the word to us. Well, good evening, everyone. Let me just say that my family and I, we are all thrilled to be at Westside. We always enjoy the opportunity to come see you all every year. I was telling the guys in our mission team meeting earlier this afternoon that I'm always excited to hear the invitation to Mission Month because it means we get to come down here and we enjoy being in this area and we're especially inspired with being with all of you. I won't take a lot of time on this because when you invite a preacher in, he has to preach. It's just what he has to do. But the purpose of this is to update you a little bit on my work, so I'll do that briefly before we get into tonight's lesson. As Josh said, I do work for Sunset International Bible Institute, and my primary role there is as an instructor. I teach full-time in the school. I have several things that I do there. I know some of you here already know this, but I see a lot of faces that are not aware of, of even who I am or what I do. So I teach in the school there. I teach both in the AIM program, Adventures in Missions, which is for 18, 20-year-olds just out of high school. They come and they're with us for a year, and then they spend a year and a half on a mission field. And so I teach the Book of Acts in the AIM program, and then the rest of these courses I also teach with to our residential biblical studies students and so this is my lineup of what i teach i've got plenty to do that way i am also the director there of our preacher training camp which we call camp apollos and we've been doing this for several years now and i've been the director since we got this going and it's grown very quickly as a matter of fact this past uh, late spring, when we had Camp Apollos, we filled it. We had a maximum number that our facilities would hold and that we felt that we could uh, handle to even do the camp, and we filled it clear up. We maxed it out, and we had a waiting list of those that wanted to come if we had any cancellations, and we didn't even have any cancellations. That was really good news. Everybody was really excited to be a part of that this year, the 12 to 18-year-old boys that were a part of that. I'm also, and have been doing this the longest at Sunset, I've been doing this since I started in 2016, I am the coordinator of all of our local or domestic evangelistic campaigns that our SIBI students go on. They're required to do two campaigns they can do as many more as they would like. They're required to do two campaigns, evangelistic campaigns, whether they're students, and I'm responsible for those. This year, we held a couple of campaigns back in March. We did one in Slayton, Texas, and Meta, Texas. Those are both small towns just outside of Lubbock. They were kind of the first to really green light a campaign on the backside of that virus, which we shall not name its name. 
if you know the one I'm talking about. So this was really our first start back up with campaigns with these two. And we conducted a number of Bible studies, uh, little tiny towns, and I think there was 20-plus good substantive studies and a couple of baptisms that came from these campaigns. This next spring, we've already got a big campaign scheduled. We're going to BB Arkansas. Preacher over there is one of our graduates, and so that'll be our big March campaign. This year is in BB Arkansas, and we are certainly looking forward to doing that. Lastly, I also am, I, I work as a part-time ministry with the Sunset Church of Christ working with local evangelism in the Sunset Congregation. And we're, th this coming year, my goal is to hopefully involve more students in that effort and give them an opportunity to help with us. But we want to work more intently, especially one of the guys that I work with. His name's Tim Brumfield. He's somebody that also works for World Bible School. And we're working to visit the wayward members, especially those wayward post-COVID. And my hopes is that we can integrate students into that as well. And that provides students a practical evangelism field opportunity also. And we have a preschool that runs out of Sunset Church. And that preschool is made up, the majority of those people are unchurched that actually come to the preschool at the Sunset Church. And so it creates for a very fertile evangelistic opportunity to try to work with the families of those people that are already coming in to our building. So hope to ramp those efforts up in 2023. And finally, World Bible School, which I think you guys have heard of that here. I think you guys have heard of that. The, the, we, we're, we've had good results and we've had a lot of work going on with WBS in the past at Sunset. But at this present moment, it's kind of lying dormant. And so priority one in 2023 is to get that uh, moving again, to get that revived to where World Bible School can do a lot more for us than what maybe it has been over the last couple of years. And with all of that, back to my primary role working with SIBI, the, this gives students opportunities to engage the positives and even some of the difficulties of local evangelism by being able to help us out in that ministry. With all, all of this being said, none of this would be possible without people in places like you. And we just want to thank you so much for allowing us to do things like this. And we thank you for the opportunity to come share a little piece of what we do with you all. All right. Got a question for you tonight. Totally different subject than where we were. How many Marvel Universe movie fans do we have here? Anybody like the Marvel movies? that wants to admit that you actually like them. <laughs> They're good. I like them. Now, who, who's got a favorite? What's your favorite? Just 
shout out a favorite Marvel movie. I can't hear you. This is where you can talk. Talk louder. Spider-Man. Okay, there I heard, I heard Spider-Man. Okay, well, anyone you named would definitely be a good choice because they're all really good. But one of my favorites is Guardians of the Galaxy. It's funny. It's just different than the rest of them. I really like Guardians of the Galaxy. I find it to be a cool movie. The whole concept of what these guys are doing, what the, the fact that these guys want to, they want to protect the right thing. So do I think it's the right thing. I don't know. Some of you wonder, are any of these guys really good guys, you know, when you watch movies like that? But love the whole concept. Marvel, the Marvel Universe is so fun to watch, and it's because we just can't help but love the concept of this good guy, bad guy fight. That engages us, and we love to watch that. Well, moving on now to something a little bit more serious, I believe... And I know that you do as well, that the gospel and everything involved with it since the creation of the universe is the most important component or element that there is in human history. And consequently, everything that God has been doing throughout history is exactly what Satan is invested in attacking. It is exactly what Satan is invested in destroying. He has been doing that since the Garden of Eden, and those attacks continue to this day. And so since the gospel has always been and will always be under attack, we have to be its guardian. Look at, just for a moment, what Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 20. He says, O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter, and go, he goes on from there. Then even in his second letter, in verse 14 of chapter 1, he says, guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. We always have to be guarding the gospel. As Christians, we must protect it. We must take care of it. We're going to spend a few minutes tonight in the book of Galatians. So if you want to be taking your Bibles and turning over to Galatians chapter 1, I'll meet back up with you there here in just a moment. But when we open the book of Galatians... It helps us to understand what was going on here with this letter. Because if, if we don't know the background, sometimes we can misconstrue a little bit of what is being said here. But this letter was written to four churches. There was not a single Galatian church. There was really four of them. And in their early days, the very gospel message that had set these people free from sin was under attack. And because of that, this letter contains some of Paul's strongest language. He probably speaks stronger than he does in any other letter 
in the book of Galatians. And this letter had one major purpose. The purpose of it was to stop the Galatian churches of committing the, the grave mistake of falling for a teaching contrary to pure Christianity. And everything in this letter is designed to help them avoid that. Paul wrote it as if it were a dire emergency. And it's a dire emergency because they're being attacked by a multidimensional threat. And he, he lays this out pretty clearly as we look, especially at the first 10 verses. So I want to read Galatians chapter 1, 1 through 10, and then we'll continue on from there. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and to all the brethren who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which there really is no other. And there are some who are disturbing you that want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what, you have, to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. And we have said before, and I'll say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Okay, so these churches that he addresses here, so... In, in such a dire way as he does, these churches were started on Paul's first missionary journey in Acts chapter 13 and 14. That's where we read of the origin of those churches. And in a few minutes, we'll look over there. But these churches were primarily Gentile churches. The Jews, as we're going to see, most of them rejected the apostles' teaching. And they turned to the Gentiles. So these churches were mostly Gentiles. These were not primarily Jewish churches. And so the main issue that he is having to address here is, is, is the fact that Jews were trying to convince them that they needed to keep the law of Moses to be saved. That's what was going on here. That's at the root of what this was. And it was probably written in fairly close proximity to the Jerusalem Council, as the, as, as the headings in your Bible are going to call it. And that was where this was initially addressed in Acts chapter 15, because that's when this problem fired up. And so this letter was probably written not long after that point in history. 
So with all of this considered, what do we do with Galatians? What, do we, what can we learn here from the same thing that they needed to hear back then? So our purpose this evening, our purpose this evening will be to assess the threat that face the Galatian churches so that we can be aware of the same types of threats today and be good guardians of the gospel in our own lives and in our own families and in the church. And there are three dimensions to this threat. And so we'll briefly examine each of them as we go through the first 10 verses of this book that we've already read. Now, threat one, Paul makes this pretty clear in verse 6. He is condemning them, and he's, he, he's scolding them for chasing after a different teaching or a different gospel. He says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting me for a different gospel. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to go after a different gospel when ultimately there's only one? Well, if we want to know what the threat looks like, if we don't want to know what a different teaching looks like, we have to first internalize in ourselves, well, what's the right one? What's the right teaching? I read this, and I'm amazed that you're so deserting me for a different gospel. The first thing we better figure out is what is the gospel that's the one that they deserted? Because we have to be able to answer what the authentic is before we can identify and guard that against a different one. Well, Paul makes that pretty clear, and it isn't hard. And we know that the gospel itself is not a a complicated message. And Paul does a pretty good job identifying this right there in the first, before he ever, while he's still introducing the letter. In verse 4, well actually, no, it's even earlier than that. He introduced himself as Paul, and he says, through Christ Jesus and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brethren with me to the church at Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age. In a nutshell, that's what the gospel does. It rescues us from this present evil age. And of course, he goes on through the rest of Galatians and, and, and addresses things that help us see elements of the gospel that they needed to see and understand better to see what they were deserting. But if we go back to Acts 13, we go even earlier in their history, we can read clearly what Paul specifically taught to the Galatian churches. Because the first missionary journey, this is where they went. So back in Acts chapter 13, the very first sermon that they heard was fairly lengthy. Luke records quite a bit of this, but beginning in verse 36, now see, he's initially talking to the Jews. So they hear it first, and he says, for David, after he had served the purpose of God, this is Acts 13, 36 beginning, 
For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid among his fathers and underwent decay. But he whom God raised did not undergo decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. What does the gospel do? Jesus died. He was buried. He did not undergo decay. He was raised. He's seated at the right hand of God. He has set us free from that very thing which the law of Moses had no ability to do. The law of Moses could not justify a person. The gospel can. And it is only by the gospel that we can find such justification. We have been set free from the sin problem. That is the authentic gospel. Well, what's the different one? What are the Gentiles, what are the Jews trying to pawn off on the Gentiles? What is the different gospel? And specifically, this is a, we see this in Acts also, in Acts 15. We won't take the time to go read all of these texts because they're, they're all telling us the same thing. What happened as Gentiles are coming into the church, the Jews start telling them, you need to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses also. And so they're being told, yes, you can be a Christian, but you need to do this also. That is one of the most dangerous possible things that anybody could have pawned off on them in the world. Look at Galatians chapter 5, just for a moment. In Galatians 5, look at how Paul deals with this. He says, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing and do not be subject again to a yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision... Christ will be of no benefit to you. Look at that again. Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. So what's really going on here? If we insist on adding something in between us and the blood of Christ as a means to justify ourselves and be saved, Christ is of no benefit whatsoever. Why is that? Because we've moved from one realm of letting the blood of Christ set us free to to the idea of law-keeping. Well, the only way law-keeping can justify anybody is if it's kept perfectly. And Paul deals with this throughout the letter of Galatians. And so this is the different teaching that he is pawning off on them. The gospel message is simple. 
Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. It's the same way in, Jew or Gentile. This different teaching is, there, there is no Christ saves us, but. There is no such thing as that anywhere. Now, there are countless different teachings out there that are obvious to us, but some are much more subtle. And these types of threats come in the forms of distorted teachings. And that's threat number two that we see here in Galatians. Look at Galatians 1 and verse 7. <clears throat> Galatians 1 and verse 7. <clears throat> he says, I'm amazed you are so quickly deserting me for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel. So a different, a different teacher, a, a threat might come in the form of a distorted teaching rather than just something merely different. A distortion can be, anything, be any addition or modification. You see, the Jewish converts were not selling this as a difference. They were selling this to the Gentiles as a slight addition, which was a distortion. And this distortion happened a couple of ways. It happened by mixing Jewish law-keeping with Christianity, and that's primarily what was going on here. But it can also, things can get distorted when we start on one path and just move to another. And over in Galatians 3, 1 through 3, Paul articulates it that way. Because <clears throat> he asks them some rhetorical questions to challenge your thinking. He says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes was Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of law or by hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? You see, he's challenging them. You started over here. Now you've moved over here. How's that going to work? And so a teaching can be distorted in a number of ways. And distortions of the simple gospel have continued through the ages. And in many ways, they have become much worse. After the first century, as the church was influenced by Rome, Christianity went from a scripture-only doctrine to a scripture-plus-traditions doctrine. And what that means is that not only was the Bible authoritative, but so were the traditions of the church fathers of the church of Rome. And so you can see what happens there. If this is what we hold as sacred, and this only, it's much harder to distort anything. 
But if this is authoritative, plus a whole bunch of traditions of the church, things are going to change pretty quickly. You talk about starting on one path and moving to another. You're going to be to another, then another, then another, then another, depending on the whims of the traditions of a given generation. And that's what can happen. And so we have to guard the gospel against distorted teaching. Well, the third dimension of the Galatian threat, which we also face, concerns why it can be tempting to accept subtle differences and distortions to teaching, and that is it can be a desire to please others and simply get along rather than, quote-unquote, rocking the boat. And I think Paul points this out in verse 10 when he says this. I believe that they kind of went along with this. Maybe because they thought, well, you know, the, the, the Jews really don't accept this very well. And, you know, maybe if we just do this, maybe if, if we just go ahead and get circumcised. And I mean, the law's got good things in it. I mean, we could keep a lot of that. Maybe if we just do that, We'll get along better with the Jew. You ever, ever done anything like that? Ever had that happen? Ever been tempted to do that? I think that's a lot of why they fell for some of this. I think that's what it was. They just simply wanted to be people pleasers. Well, here's what can happen with that. That is how we can end up with a compromised message by watering down the gospel. It's like, well, if I just don't heavily emphasize that part, maybe they'd be more accepting. It can also cause us to change and modify the way we practice things to please a different crowd. We can't make changes just please people. That's what Paul said here. And see, what that can also lead to is not preaching against certain things because we're afraid some might not, might not like to hear it. Well, Paul did not shrink from declaring the whole counsel of God. And if we're going to be good guardians of the gospel, we can't either. <clears throat> The principles that we see in this three-dimensional threat that's addressed in this letter demonstrate just how easy it is to allow Satan to pull a fast one on us. The Galatian letter is written with a, a higher degree of urgency times 10 than any of the other letters Paul wrote. And that is because they were being bewitched by a different message that threatened to distort everything they had learned and what they were practicing, and it wasn't, they, they were complying with these things merely to get along. Well, here's what could have happened. Had they let that go, then the identity of their teaching and everything they were doing could have been completely lost in history. And so it was dire that Paul took care of it. So what do we do? We face the same kind of threats. So what is it that, that we need to do? Well, we have to possess a strong 
desire to know the authentic gospel and be willing to guard it. So here's the challenge tonight. I want to leave you with some questions to go home with and let you think about as, as we process through some of this. What might Satan use to threaten or to distort what you know to be true? How about for your children? What might he distort in their lives? Is there anything that is making you uncomfortable that perhaps you would just simply go along with for the sake of appeasement? There's a lot more questions we could ask with this, but I think, I think these are adequate. We have to be good guardians of the Word that God has entrusted us with. We have to maintain its integrity in the way that it is taught because this is what God said. God didn't say anything else. He didn't give another revelation to another group of people he gave this to you and me. We don't need anymore, and we're not going to get anymore. It contains everything pertaining to life and godliness. Have you followed the plan of salvation laid out in the Word of God? Have you obeyed the simple gospel? If you haven't, don't leave here tonight without doing so. Jesus is coming back in judgment and when he does, there are two groups of people mentioned that he's coming back in judgment on, according to the letter of the, of, of the second letter to the Thessalonians. Those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel. Well, I know God, but I know this much. If Jesus is coming back on, in judgment and I haven't obeyed the gospel, I want to know what in the world it means to obey the gospel. What does that mean? Well, the gospel, according to 1 Corinthians 15, is the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay, so that's something Jesus did. How do I obey that? Well, if you read Romans 6, you see pretty quickly that the action of baptism ties right in to that death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I obey the gospel by being buried with Jesus in baptism and being raised up with him to walk a new life. So, if Jesus' judgment is on those who have not done that, and you're here tonight and haven't done that, I would urge you not to leave here without doing so. If you need to study more of the gospel and what Jesus did, the elders here can most certainly help you with that. If you have any need this evening, I encourage you to come this evening as we stand and as we sing.